Welcome to Resourceful Humans. I am your host, Corey Haber, and today I have Bill and Dina with me. I'm very excited to hear from them. They both have their master's in HR, and I know a lot of people go through that process of, should I get my master's in HR? Why should I do this? Should I just get certified and not get my master's? So they're here to tell us what are the pros and cons and what are the benefits and how can it help your career? So thank you for coming on, you guys. I'm very excited to have you. And it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you came. And go ahead, tell us, you know, why do you feel someone should get their master's? Why should they consider that? Dina, why don't you kick it off? Sure. Okay. Well, I, I just can speak from my own experience. And I'm someone who was already in the HR field. So, you know, I think Bill and I talked about, you know, there may be someone who is just starting their HR career as someone in our audience and also those who already have experience but want to advance their profession. So I was in the second category. And what really motivated me was I wanted to grow in my career. I wanted to grow financially. Um, I also, you know, knew a lot of practical, tactical HR skills but really wanted to learn the theoretical of organizational design and learning. And, you know, I was also on an executive team. So part of it for me was credibility. A lot of my team had their MBAs and their masters. And so I decided to get my masters at NYU as part of, as an executive and a business partner uh, with an expertise in HR. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, you know, I also got my master's degree fairly early, fairly, sorry, fairly late in my career. I've been working in HR for actually a couple of decades. I was thinking, how do I take things to the next step? Plus, I was also thinking, how, how could I potentially transition my career to teaching? which ultimately I did because I teach graduate and undergraduate students HR and NYIT. Plus, I teach the SHRM certification course there as well. So I think there were a couple of different motivations for me, like you, Dina, you know, that kind of propelled me to go to graduate school. Um, but I also have a lot of students who are starting out in their careers and they're thinking, you know, sort of what's the benefit for me as somebody starting my career and getting a master's degree? I think for a lot of those students, it's partially credibility. Partially, I think they're thinking about how do I come up to speed quickly in terms of some of the key HR functions like staffing, compensation, organization development, and so on. And I think for a lot of people starting their careers, that investment, um, learning about the functions as well as HR strategy is a big motivation. I have a question for the two of you. Do you feel like Depend, do you feel like the benefit of having a master's in HR depends on the area of HR that a person chooses to focus on? Or do you feel like there are benefits no matter which area they focus on? Well, I'll, I mean, I'll jump in. I'll say, going back to saying, you know, being a true business partner, that's really the most um, valuable thing that I received from getting my degree. And so what I think that does is, yeah, it expands your, you know, you're working as, as an HR leader, you're working cross-functionally with all teams, with marketing, with finance, with sales. And most of the degree, I went to NYU, we talked about the program at NYIT where Bill teaches and you're not learning how to process payroll. You're learning how people, people, engagement, motivation, learning, and, you know, compensation strategy and benefit strategy enhances the business. So I think that's the most valuable thing. And what that does is gives you a lot more opportunity to pivot 
in your career. And the last thing I'll say is, and Bill, you may speak more on this, is that there are a lot more um, specific areas now. <clears throat> you can be a you know diversity and inclusion uh, director, you could be a director of learning, you can be a wellness coordinator now. You know, there's a lot of different opportunities. So getting a degree just helps expand your knowledge of all the areas of the business. Right. Yeah. One of the topics we discussed the other day, Dina, was sort of the expectations of HR, right? You talked about being a business partner, but even people who are functional specialists in training and compensation and benefits really need to understand what the business is about. Right. So whether you're a business partner or chief HR officer or a functional specialist, part of the traditional knock on HR people is we don't really understand the business. So part of the job of a good master's program should always be understanding or helping students understand how does this business make money? What kind of competition exists outside of our business? Because quite frankly, whether you're a functional specialist or a business partner, if you who really can't answer those questions and incorporate those issues in terms of your proposals, your work every day, you're not going to be very useful in the business. And typically the business will treat you accordingly. What do you find, Bill, that your students are finding most valuable in the program? Or what are they getting that maybe they didn't expect? I think they're getting <clears throat> education and things like finance. <clears throat> That's why we go into HR because we don't like. Math. Yeah, just like <laughs> just like we were discussing previously. Right. You know, a lot of HR people say, you know, you know I I want to go into HR because I don't want to have to deal with numbers. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Because HR people really need to understand what is that market share? What about the issue of big data? How do people analytics help us to be more effective in things like engagement, productivity, et cetera? And so I think master's programs, good ones that focus on business issues, help our students to understand these things and students find these things to be valuable. Also, I think good master's programs, as you were saying, also help students understand strategy and sort of this longer term perspective, this sort of two to three year perspective of what is the business going to be doing? Because as I tell my students, this is a hyper-competitive environment. Your competitors are not only looking for your market share, they're also often actively looking to put you out of business. Mm -hmm. So HR people need to have some appreciation for that. And I know, so we've been talking about all of the um, positives of, you know, getting a master's and, you know, there's a lot of other alternatives, but I know the number one question for people is probably like, I know for me, it was like, oh, I can't afford it. Or I have a full-time job, you know, how can I ever make the time to do that? Um, I can answer that question for me personally, but do you want to speak on that a bit for how some of your students or in your own experience, like how you dealt with the cost issue and the time commitment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is, this is a really big issue for students because there's really two costs. First, there's the cost of the tuition, whatever that might be, but there's also the opportunity cost, right? So some students go full-time, so they don't work, or potentially they're working part-time or taking a job that is potentially below their experience level, just so it's more nine to five focused and they can study and go to class. So there's two kinds of costs. 
So I think when students are considering sort of these two types of costs, they also have to think about what is the value proposition from the school I want to attend, right? How is this school going to help me achieve my goals for knowledge, for experience, for a future career? Do they help me find internships? Do they help me find jobs when I'm about to graduate? To what extent do they help me also network, mm -hmm. not just necessarily with employers, although that's clearly important, but also with fellow students. So not, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Working yeah. was something um, that also, you know, influenced my decision, but I didn't even realize how valuable it would be. Again, not to get a job or to, but just the colleagues that I have now. Mm -hmm. I mean, right before this podcast, I was on a call with someone who was a student with me and she's head of HR for a big, agency and we knowledge share you know we have a support system there's so many people that you can you know go to for you know their resources um because a lot of the challenges i think we deal with it's i know for me you know it's not in a textbook and it's really good to run by other professionals and any instructors and professors that you're still in touch with you know just to kind of like roll things off them and, and get uh, gut check mm -hmm. I agree. I think a lot of people who graduate find it useful, stay in touch with people they attend the classes with. They also find it useful to talk to their professors. Typically, a lot of my students approach me and say, you know what, I'm really not happy with job X, or I just got fired later off, so help me find other positions. So good programs that are well-networked help students as well as their graduates to do so. And do you do that or do your other colleagues do that? Do they spend time, do you spend time with your students outside of class and once they've graduated and? Sure. Yeah, so I think these days, as all three of us know, it's all about networking, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so establishing that network and maintaining it is really uh, pretty critical. A couple of my former students are currently on the leadership council of New York City SHRM. We have a couple of alums who are on the board of SHRM Long Island. Plus, we've got several uh, alums who are in senior HR positions. One of them used to be the chairman of the board of uh, Sherm National, actually. Wow. So our students do really well, but the core of that is the educational experience, plus the networking and the types of experiences that we give our students while they're uh, going to class. What other additions do you have, Dina? In terms of... Sort of the value proposition for yeah. graduate students. Yeah, well, we were, you know, we were talking about that. I think, like I said, I'm repeating myself, but the one that was most valuable was understanding this language of business. Um, and it reminded me, though, I want to come back to it because um, I'm currently the head of people at Bandier, a fashion retailer, and my chief marketing officer shared with me um, a page from the book Powerful, the Netflix book by Patty McCord. And she shared with me this, oh, what's that? Oh, I said, okay, I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, so she shared with me this, but I wanna read it because, uh, you know, I was so proud to say to her, oh, 100%, like this is me. She said, you know, one, the book, one thing I absolutely advise is making sure your HR people are your partners. You must stress to them that you want them to be true business building partners. Do they know your three key drivers of revenue? Do they know who your top four competitors are? Do they know about the technology that's about to disrupt the market? Tell them. And if they don't want to know, replace them. And I think in the value of this degree was learning that that's who I am. Like, that's who we are. We're business partners. Again, if we're functional specialists or generalists, that 
it's no longer personnel and we're not just filling out forms and doing tactical jobs that all organizations right now are competing on talent. We don't, it's not the industrial age. We all have the same computers and the same technology and the same platforms. It's really people who are really are, you know, the, 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 that's what makes the difference with our customers and in our business. So um, that is something I'd reiterate as being the most valuable. But that being said, the network was great. And mm-hmm. having most recently been job searching during a pandemic, um, a lot of, I was surprised to see that a lot of postings said you know, degree um, required, master's preferred. Um, there's quite a few jobs that actually, you know, articulated that's what they're looking for. Um, and what that says to me is they're looking for people who have a broad experience yeah. and understand the business of the language. I've had a lot of people that I, I personally know just through LinkedIn or it just in general that I work with that are having that issue. They don't have a master's in HR and, and that's required for most of these positions now, or it's preferred, I should say it's preferred. So yeah, it is, it makes it difficult. And it also gives you experience just like your undergrad does. Um, You know, I'm not working in my my undergrad degree was in television production, but I learned much more than television production, you know, and in grad school, it was the same way. And Bill, you and I talked about this, about the teamwork, like the projects that in my program at NYU, so many of them were revolved around team projects. And just that alone, it just teaches you, you know, how to, um, you know, effectively interact. And we, we shared, we both had in common who was always the team leader. I was. Bill. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you delegate or how do you, you know, it's just how do you, you know, even in a classroom setting, you're dealing with people who might not be meeting expectations or being responsible. So that was also really, really valuable to experience. And of course, all the writing and presentation it only makes you stronger in those very basic skills that you need in business. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think there's another factor though. Some of our listeners may be thinking, all right, Bill and Dina, this is all great stuff, but what about the bottom line? What kind of difference does the degree make in terms of compensation? So a couple of pieces of data Bureau of Labor Statistics, which basically is all about the data, right? So they're projecting that over the next 10 years, the number of increase of HR jobs in just this region, New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, the number of jobs is going to increase by almost 15,000. Wow. Plus, they expect between turnover and what have you, total openings to be <clears throat> roughly 20,000. Wow. So, also, New York City, New Jersey, Long Island ranks in the top five areas for compensation for HR people. Mm-hmm. So, guess if companies are going to have these openings, and if they're going to pay that much money, guess what they're going to be looking for? A lot of them are going to be looking for graduate degrees Mm -hmm. because graduate degrees not only mean expertise and network, they also mean commitment because somebody who's going to pay those opportunity costs and tuition costs Mm -hmm. also committed to their profession, which is critical for employers. Yeah, and I'd like to talk about that because that was, like I said, a real could have potentially been a real barrier for me, especially going to a private university like NYU. And a couple of tips I have, you know, one is um, if you're going to school for your profession, in most cases, um, for me, it was tax deductible, my tuition, a lot of my books and my costs. So what I did was when I got that nice refund, I paid, I put it right back towards the tuition. So I put half of it on a loan, which I'm paying off and then, but didn't have a hundred percent of it on a student loan. 
Um, the other thing is a lot of companies have tuition reimbursement programs. The company I was working for at the time didn't, so I made one. And it was great because the, it was then a great benefit for the entire company. But my boss was like, yeah, if you want us to do this, put the program together. And so if your company doesn't have one and you're in a position to not maybe create it yourself, but talk to your HR team to suggest it, I mean, it's a great benefit for a company. So yeah. those, help, yeah. those help financially too. Yeah, I agree. Also, Sherm also does scholarships. They're competitive scholarships, but actually the Sherm Foundation does a really good job of funding, you know, people who show promise or are committed to their careers. Also, sometimes organizations who have scholarships or funding for people who have done volunteer work as well. And sometimes schools like mine will also give scholarships to smaller degrees for people who had really high GPAs as undergraduates. Good. Go ahead. Why don't we talk, one of the popular topics that comes up these days and we discussed the other day, Dina, was micro-credentials mm -hmm. as well as certification. So people will sometimes say, well, you know, nine in certifications are the new degree. Micro-credentials beat out any degree. So Dina, what's your opinion about this? Well, I did do some research. And in fact, I think Sherm had at the time, this was in 2014, they had a, a workshop on should you get a graduate degree or a credential? And, um, mm -hmm. And this was before, you know, now like Google has these micro credentials, you could go online with Sherm and get credentials, but um, they really laid it out. And to your point about commitment, I, the deciding factor for, for me and some of my colleagues who went was one, you know, just the personal enrichment of the entire experience of going to graduate school, but also the level of commitment. Um, so, I think those are great supplements. And in fact, for me, I did get my SHRM certification after my degree because I had some time on my hands when I lost my job. And it's a good thing to do when you have extra time is study. Um, and then, yeah. And so like, do you want to talk about, cause I know I, NYU has a certification program that's a condensed version, but again, what, what I really got out of it was the commitment the team building, the network building, the getting to know my instructors and professors. I go back as a guest lecturer for one of my professor's um, presentation classes. So I don't know if you get that through a cert certification program, but you can speak more to that. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I think micro certifications are great. And also I want to mention that by the time this podcast appears, New York City SHRM is going to be introducing two SHRM micro-credentials, which are really great. They're going to be taught by top-notch professionals who are leaders of New York City SHRM. Ingrid Thorpe is going to do micro-credential on inclusion in the workplace. Joel Peterson going to do something on HR department of one. These are going to be top-notch micro-certifications, micro-credentials. Really, really good. But they're very, very targeted. So if you're, I've got a student just started a job as the HR department of one. She's already said to me, I'm going to sign up for this program. She should. But she also has a master's degree and she also has certification. So I think targeted micro-credentials work really well when you've got a knowledge gap, which is specific. Absolutely. Certi yeah. cert certification, like you, Dina, I actually got certified for the first time. During the summer when I was going to graduate school, we didn't have classes. So I thought, why not? 
-hmm. Let me go for the SPHR's credential. Are we nerds? We are definitely nerds, <laughs> right? So I think these certifications are good in terms of exposing people to really broad perspectives, mm -hmm. but often the knowledge is a little bit sort of shallow. Not that that's bad, but it's so to, these days with SHRM credentials, looking at competencies, there's also behavioral element, which is great. But I think with a master's degree, there's a much deeper perspective mm -hmm. of topics we discussed already, like strategy, staffing, talent development, et cetera, because a master's degree really indicates you've gone through an educational process which focuses on deeper critical thinking, multiple sources of knowledge, schools are accredited, so there's a deepness to sort of plus discussion skills, presentation skills, et cetera, that we've already talked about. So those kinds of things, I think, are really important for the longer term. The value of certification usually is shorter term. Mm -hmm. Usually there's an increase in promotions and raises first couple of years after certification. But a master's degree, I think, last people their whole career. Mm -hmm. And I would also add, you're, you're exactly right. And when you brought that up, you know, I realized I've changed industries a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I was in the hospitality industry, it was a lot more focused on compliance and wage and hour laws for hourly employees and tipped employees. Whereas when I moved to the creative field and we had mostly non-exempt employees, it was more culture and behavioral focus. So a really good way to adapt and be able to, you know, when you're changing industries is to look at a credential to your point that's more specific and has more of a target of what you need in the job that perhaps you don't have experience in, or just to make you more of an expert because for example, in hospitality, you need to be an expert in compliance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a good supplement too. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think the other thing, we said we were going to discuss was a couple of new trends mm -hmm. in terms of master's programs. Do you want to kick it off, uh, Dina? Well, I think you, you know, you're seeing a lot of them. And I, let me think about that. Oh, I, th I think, you know, from my perspective, one of the things that, and we didn't talk about this, but now that we're in a remote workforce mm -hmm. um, that there's a lot of focus on that so I mean it sounds strange to say it's a trend but it will be because I think a lot of companies have seen that it works you know I think a lot of companies were afraid and now that we've been forced to do it they see how productive employees are and how happy employees are if they have you know more time less commuting so I think that's an interesting trend and I think for HR you have to understand how do you change the way you do everything almost like performance management? How do you change how engagement works in your company, teamwork, collaboration? You have to be really creative in that area. I think that's something that right now is a big trend. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I think another trend has to do with Programs increasingly becoming cohorts. So instead of random groups of people starting programs at different times, taking different classes, that's potentially very useful for people as well. But increasingly, schools are starting to say, you know, maybe instead of having people coming and going, we get more benefit through networking, teamwork, et cetera, by having a cohort and you, or a group of people. Sorry. You were in a cohort, right? You had yeah. Actually, for both of my graduate programs, I attended as a member of a cohort. So you get all the benefits of networking, strong teamwork, which can be really challenging at times, as we discussed. But 
once you graduate, that network is always with you. Plus, it teaches you how to solve challenges and problems, working with other people that you see on a regular basis and who also potentially can affect your success as a student. One of my graduate programs, the comprehensive exam was based on teamwork. You know, so we had to do group presentations, we had group projects to do, and basically if we screwed up as a team, we all failed. Despite the fact that one person may have done better than the others, we would all fail. That's a, that's a really tough thing, but it's great preparation for HR. And because quite frankly, the success of HR really depends on other people. Dina, sorry. Right, right. No, I agree 100%. It's, it's very applicable to the real world. Yeah. You don't yeah. do something. Oh, go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say, I, I think the ver recognizing that these virtual classes are an option now is very important because I do feel like the number of HR professionals that are considering um, the NHR masters right now is much higher because they are be able to work from home and it does make things a little bit easier as far as doing online courses because you are at home and you can some maybe have some time between what you're doing at work to get some of this coursework done. So I, I have noticed that a yeah. lot of HR professionals that I know have started to consider this route even late into their careers because of the change in their environment. I'm old school and I, you know, had an undergrad and it was fine, but then I went back, you know, however many years later and I thought I'm gonna do it differently this time and I'm sitting in the front row and I'm raising my hand. And I did that, but my, again, this was in 2014, 2015, my academic advisor said, you need to take some online classes. And I was a little hesitant, but I did. And first of all, who knew, you know, that I'd have to, you know, six years later, know everything about Zoom. And, you know, it, back then, I mean, I was a little intimidating, but right. it was such a great um, experience. I learned just as much, you know, there was nothing that was um, lacking in terms of the education, you know, the, that class and what I took away from it, uh, several of the classes I did online. Um, so I think that's really important, and I think it goes back to the time factor. If people are concerned about time, like you said, Corey, I would work all day, and I'd have a 6 o'clock class, but I wouldn't have to commute. So I would just work right up until then, take it into a conference room, do my three-hour class, and then order some dinner and you know work a little more and go home. And that was manageable. That was manageable. Yeah, I think it's – I think taking online classes, especially – Zoom is a great way to save time and be efficient and basically get it all done. <clears throat> the other trend, just starting to see this is several schools are starting to say, hmm, there are a lot of people out there that are certified or a lot of people who want to become certified, plus they want their master's degree, how can we package this up? So there's, based on what I've studied, there's about seven schools currently where a school will say, if you take your certification prep concurrent with your master's degree, we will give you credit for that. Plus, a kind of an emerging trend also is people who are certified before they start their master's, some schools are starting to say, well, you know what? We'll give you cr credit transfer for your certification. So we're talking about that value proposition earlier. That's something to also look at. What will a school do to help me not only get the master's, help me network, but also help me get certified? Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Um, so one question that I was thinking of while you were, were just while you guys were chatting is, I think for um, just you know for myself I'd be curious too. What is there? A, do you feel like there's a right order to do it? Get your master's and then get your certification. Get certification then master's. Does it really even matter? 
or should you do them both at the same time? Because let's say someone doesn't have either. What, what should be their next step? What do you feel? Go ahead, Bill. Dina, Dina, go ahead. I, I, I can only share, you know, my own experience. I don't know that it's best, but it worked for me. And look, there's also the question like before the journey of before making the actual decision to go to school to get my master's, I joined SHRM and I got really involved with SHRM. I took a couple of classes at NYU to just like check it out. You know, I took a foundations of HR and, and a recruiting class. So, you know, I think everyone has their own journey. Um, but for me, I felt because I was already working in the field at, at a senior level, that maybe I'd get a certification, maybe not, but I really wanted that graduate degree, like I said, because I was working on an executive team and I really felt, you know, personally for myself, I wanted to invest in that. I deserved it, but also for my professional growth and financial growth and, you know, to have that credibility. What do you think, though? I, I think there's no one size fits all, right? I think if I'm just, if I'm, two years in my career, I'm thinking, you know, I'm really unappreciated around here, just not making progress. Potentially certification is great short-term mechanism, kind of jumpstarts your career. But yeah. if you're two years in and thinking, you know what, I really, I've got long-term goals. I really want to be successful in my career. So I want to make that commitment. A master's probably is going to be the place to start. And potentially you can get your certification potentially during your master's or right after it. I wouldn't suggest doing it during. <laughs> yeah, if you can, definitely do it. Yeah, but I, I will say too, the, you know, the advantage of the certification. Too. Yeah. You said you would suggest doing it during or not suggest? I would not suggest doing oh, it while okay. you're in school. <laughs> At least for me, I. But a, a lot of my students do this. Really? Okay. They don't. They don't sleep for right. three months, <laughs> but they get their certification. Yeah. If you're working full time, then maybe not. If you're not, that you know could happen. But it was a lot of studying and and quite stressful. But look, the other thing about the certification, I don't just get to say, "Oh, now I have it." I have to keep it current. So I've always been someone that's gone to SHRM events and other events and conferences, but it forces you to do that, which I think is mm -hmm. also a commitment, you right. know, in some sense. Like maybe it's not a graduate degree that you spend all this money on, but it does force you to stay current, stay active, stay engaged in your own professional growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think probably the, the best scenario is have both. Get both as soon as you can, because for companies that are spending lots of money on top-notch HR people, they're going to say, well, we're going to go for the cream of the crop, and that is people with a master's and people with certification. Right. That's true. Well, I, honestly, I learned so much, too, even after we've already spoken about this before, so I think. This was great, and I really think it's going to help a lot of people that are in this this limbo of whether they should do it or whether they shouldn't. And, and this timing, really, it couldn't be per more perfect, I think. They're uh, remote. It, there's virtual classes that are an option, and I can only excel your career. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much to both of you. And if anyone has anything else they want to speak to about, they can definitely leave comments on the post. and you guys will definitely be involved in responding there too. So Good. thank you and love to have you back again. Great. That'd be terrific. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Great talking Thanks. to you. It's been about five months since Dina and Bill and I last spoke about getting your master's in HR. We're doing a touch base and I really want to just dive right in and hear, you know, in this past few months or several months, now that we've seen that this pandemic is going to last longer than initially expected, are the two of you seeing an increase in HR professionals enrolling in the master's program? Well, interesting question. Um, we're just at the um, month of March in 2021. And um, 
what we observed this semester was a reduction of students starting this program. And I think part of the reason for that is that clearly getting any type of graduate degree is expensive. So companies are in some cases kind of reluctant, you know, to make fairly large investments because of reductions, revenues and other cost issues. And I think sometimes individual employees are reluctant to ask as well. Dina, what do you think? No, you know, from my seat as um, a head of people at a company, I wouldn't know, like no one on our team is, you know, focusing on going back to school in any capacity right now, uh, probably for the, you know, a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, Bill. Um, but it's interesting because I would have thought the opposite. Like mm. I was thinking of this and thinking, oh, you know, I wonder if there's like an uptick in enrollment because maybe, you know, people have more time or indoors, we're not doing recreational things. I know I'm certainly spending a lot more time on Zoom and online and because classes have um, maybe become more accessible. I mean, they've definitely become yeah. more accessible, although there have always been, you know, um, digital classes. But now there's, you know, entire programs that are accessible online. So that's interesting to hear your perspective because I thought it might have increased. Me too. I, I, I would have assumed, you know, this is the time people are sitting at home, even though they're working, it feels like you have more time on your hands when you're at home. And a lot of people might feel that this is the time to go ahead and take on that extra work to get the master's. But mm -hmm. That is really interesting, Bill, that you're seeing the opposite. Do you feel yeah. like in the future, when we get closer to being back to back to normal, do you think that this will be something that businesses will try to put money towards? Or do you feel like this could end up being almost like a, a budget cut in a sense? Because I know that some used to you know, support the, the financial side of getting your master's in HR. Yeah, I think that as, as companies, I think, take advantage of new opportunities in the market, start bringing in revenues like they used to, and in some cases, starting start establishing new initiatives in terms of the business. I think companies will start looking again at how do we invest in people that work for us? How do we invest in their skills, both through training at work or training through the company's proprietary systems, but also what kind of support do the people need in terms of graduate education, broadening their perspective? So I think this will change might take a year or two to get to that point until companies feel maybe a little more comfortable with their revenues. Yeah. I know as a, like as a you know someone who's in-house, I would love for us to give that benefit. Um, I've worked, I think we talked about in the last podcast that I created a benefit at my company and then benefited from that benefit, but of course other people did as well. Um, it, it seems like maybe a lazy choice, but as you were talking, Bill, I was thinking so much easier to just allow someone to take the initiative and really enroll something they're so passionate about or a, a, a program that they specifically want to join and have us just, you know, write the check rather than take the time and resources internally to create more learning and development opportunities. So just, you know, as a note to companies, even though it is an expense, think about how much time and resources you're putting towards internal training. I think there should be a combination for sure, but this is sort of an easy win for any company if they have the, you know, the line item to do it. Yeah, exactly. I think companies have to separate sort of the focus on training, which is inherently short-term, good for the immediate needs of the company, but there's also the developmental aspect of you know, looking down the road a couple of years, who's going to be the next head of talent management? Who's going to be the next head of total rewards or engagement, et cetera? 
what kind of education and development will those people need? So I think that sort of dual perspective has to be there for companies and companies ought to look at them a little bit differently. And do you, I don't know, Bill or Corey, if you have any insight into this, but it also is curious because I feel that there's just more turnover now and, and just, just speaking generationally, um, you know, it's just a fact like, you know, my parents and, and perhaps, you know, Corey, your parents, like, you know, we're in jobs for till they got the gold watch, you know, and my, mm-hmm. you know, my dad, my uncle at their companies for 40, 40 years. And it's just not the norm anymore. Um, so I wonder, do you know that companies put any more value on this as something being like an advantageous benefit or that it's sort of off the table because owners may think, why am I going to do that if this employee is going to leave in a couple of years? Mm-hmm. I know that's a question that came up from my employer. And ironically, I wound up leaving within the first, <laughs> I think it was after a year. So um, we had obviously built that into our agreement about a certain time frame, uh, certain grades you needed to get and the time frame in which you would otherwise have to pay it back. But what are your thoughts? Do, do either of you have any insight into that in, in terms of investing in this kind of a you know, long-term education versus what's in it for them if there's more turnover? I think it, for me, I mean, it can, that, that question could kind of be relevant to a lot of different things too. It's like, why give this person a raise if they're just gonna, you know, leave me? But I think that sometimes businesses do think about it in that sense. Like, I don't want to spend this money because I'm going to help them progress in their career and their um, education. And then they're going to turn around and take another job. But at the same time, it can do the very opposite. It, it can help the person progress and grow within your company and, you know, even create a job that wasn't there before because no one was qualified to do it. But I, it's hard. It's hard because I, I almost feel like it's the person you have to really think and look, does this person, do they enjoy working here? Are they invested in this company? And if we pay for this, do they clearly want to stay here and grow with us? Or do they just want to grow as an individual Hmm. and not with our company? That's just kind of how I, I think, I think companies really spend a lot more time thinking about who are their top performers? Who's in that talent pool, right? And what do we need to do potentially to retain those high performers? Before this call, I was talking with one of our alums. She works for a really, really big company, a company we would all recognize immediately. And she graduated, I guess, three or four years ago. And basically she was telling me, well, currently I'm doing this, but there's opportunities to do something different. There's something after that. There's something after that. She's, she's got not, I wouldn't call it a career path, but she's got a plan of moving upwards within this very large organization very mm-hmm. quickly. And it certainly sounds like the company is amenable to making those things happen. Now, she's already got the master's degree. So for those who, you know, sometimes wonder, is it worth it? You know, consider this example where she is already on her third company. She left her previous two companies by her own choice. And this is a major company that really wants, you know, to retain her and um, is willing to, go, willing to go through the investment of keeping her there because she's doing a great job. Yeah, I think, yeah, my lens of, you know, most of my experience has been at smaller companies and that that is a concern that I've heard, you know, from leadership. It's like, well, you know, especially in startups, like, Mm. They're going to be, you know, being somewhere for five years is like a really, it's a long time. So, but I totally understand both of your perspective. And to play devil's advocate, I also think it could also, it it produces loyalty as well. So 
you know, there's that side too, but yeah, I just wanted to like put that out there as well. That's yeah. a good question. I, I have a, I have one. Uh, so in creating, if a business were to create a program where they do help fund getting your master's in HR, do you think it, the problem arises too, where they also have other areas, other specialties where they might feel like if they're going to put money towards helping their HR professionals get that master's or obtain that master's, they would also have to create some sort of program or something in the budget to help other people in their company obtain master's in other areas. Do you, do you feel like that's something yeah. what happens when they try to create a program such as that? Yeah, well, I think certainly, you know, I don't think um, a business would just focus on like one department, but I know for us, when, when we did this, yes, it was with the HR department in mind, but we, you know, it was a tuition reimbursement for, gotcha. for um, any employee who wanted to apply for it. The challenge was it, it, we did, you know, have some parameters where we said it has to be related to your field. So, and this was in hospitality. So to be truthful, um, all of our chefs went to culinary school already, you know, and many of our managers did have, you know, a Cornell program or Johnson and Johnson and Wells, like, you know, behind them, mm -hmm. but it was mostly, you know, for people at HQ working in like PR or marketing or accounting, but we did make it for everyone with the guidelines that it, it does have to relate to your current job or the next step in your, gotcha. in your area of profession. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Sort of my experience is that companies look to sort of hire people in with technical background and skill. So if you're a hospital, if you're an engineering firm, the people you hire have to have those skills before they start, obviously. But the one area where companies sometimes are willing to open up the coffers for educational expense have to do with management, accounting, HR, and sort of those fields where a person with really strong technical skills potentially can you know, earn another degree and potentially become part of that talent pool we were talking about earlier. Yeah, we definitely had a lot of, um, a lot of interest in our team signing up for not like a college degree, tuition reimbursement can go towards any kind of sure. um, program that you wanna take. It could be one, could be one day seminar. And we had um, several people with interests in leadership and management. I mean, that was the most popular course. Um, to take, you know, one-offs or a, a course and just making their, you know, having stronger skill sets in those areas. Do you find that, you know, I know that prior to this pandemic, that having that master's could help you progress in most of the time your current role or, you know, move up in to a higher level role, even if somewhere else. But now it almost seems to me like it would be a good tool in this remote world because you're really not getting as much face-to-face -face time in interviews as you used to. So it really has become less about the person and the personality and really more about what's on their resume and a side-by-side -side comparison of two people's resume, which it, I don't think it should be that way, but unfortunately I think mm -hmm. it... Mm it has attention has gone more towards what's listed a person's checklist essentially has because it's hard to get to know them and it's hard to really see someone's real personality virtually and over the phone and via zoom even i think mm -hmm. yeah i just recently read i hate somewhere i'm sorry i can't recall but that now recruiters, you know, some shifting during the past year, recruiters are specifically looking, you know, seeking out people with degrees in like um, a master in industrial and labor relations. Um, but again, on the other hand, you know, right now um, we're doing a search again for more junior, you know, I think this is one of the differences too. It's like 
yes, for VP level or an executive level, it's, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's, I see it on every ask, every job post and, and recruiter I've spoken to, they have reached out and said, you have this degree that's on the list that checks yeah. that box. But obviously for like more junior roles may not be. Um, so what's interesting, what you're sharing, Corey, about this virtual world of recruiting, it is very challenging, but it is also having the opposite effect, at least in my company. Our VP of marketing is like, okay, I, the resume, I like barely want to look at, because all she's going to do is read hundreds of resumes. So True. we're yeah. looking at um, portfolios, even not creative positions, but people who their Instagrams that they're willing to share. A lot of people have their own websites and really looking at who they trying to see, you know, in terms of like a cover letter or some questions in advance of a resume of like who they are, what are they passionate about? Where do they see themselves? What do they think is unique about them? So kind of like sending out some questions in advance of an actual interview to sort of like supplement the resume, which is getting us a little off topic, but no. thought I thought it's worth a mention. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think companies still, Corey, want good fit with the organization. I think they still look at personality. Potentially, they assess it differently. But I think they're looking at, you know, will this, will this candidate be able to work with the people that are already here? But I also do think that the credentials, the experiences, the skills still count a lot and potentially even more than they did previously. Because if we perceive lots of opportunities going forward, we want people that have all of the requisite skills that fit with the company. You know, companies want what they want, right? And I think that trend is probably gonna get much more pronounced post pandemic. Yeah. Would you agree, Dina? Um, yes. Yeah, I would. Um, I, I, I have nothing to add there, but I do think uh, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes thinking of post-pandemic. I, I think many of us have gotten used to this. Uh, I think it's going to be another period of transition for everybody, just like last March was and yep. how weird that was. I think now it's been enough and we're all used to it and thinking about getting back. Um, is interesting, but yeah, I, I totally agree with your point. And I'm sorry, I don't have anything to add to it. You, you said it all and, and I agree. Phil, in your opinion, you know, from what you've seen with doing these virtual courses and then versus doing them in person, do you find that it's been easier for people to start that master's program or continue it if they started it before virtually? Or do you find that previous when that, when they could go to class in person, they tend to be more successful. I certainly think that people can be successful in a virtual environment, sort of a Zoom-based environment. But I think the challenge is, you know, just like we talk about in our org site classes, any type of virtual media is sort of a lean communications medium. So we really lose a lot of, you know, the, the gestures and the sense of what people are thinking and feeling when we're working through Zoom. So I think the challenge is how do we stay focused? How do we keep people engaged, right? How do we keep people wanting you know, to go to yet another Zoom meeting or uh, another Zoom class. So part of the answer to that is teamwork. Part of the answer to that is the, the instructor, the professor, whoever, engaging people, plus giving people interesting things to work on. So it's definitely much more challenging. I think both for the instructors as well as the students. That's what I was going to ask, Bill, about your experience teaching in both the virtual and the real world. Like, what are those challenges? Are there certain things that you 
prefer one over the other. And Yeah, I think there is nothing like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a student before class, after class, obviously in person, right? Or, you know, sitting down in the lounge or the office, what are your career plans, et cetera. Those kinds of sort of off the cuff ad hoc things you can do with some frequency. A lot harder to go to a person and say, let's talk about your career on Zoom at five o'clock on Thursday. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a lot harder to do. So I think one of the missing pieces in the equation or hard to duplicate on Zoom is all of those individual conversations, which are useful, I think, for the student as well as the instructors. Dina, which did you find yourself to like more when you were getting your master's? Did you do virtual classes and in person? Yes, I think um, I talked about this. I was very averse to virtual classes. I liked the experience of going um, downtown or going to Bryant Park and being, you know, in the room and, and just like Bill said, like being there early and chatting, you know, staying after and talking about our projects. But my counselor said, you gotta take a virtual class. Like you need to take at least one because that's the you know, just like, kind of that's where this is headed. Um, right. She was right. And, um, and I wound up taking only like virtual. two. Yeah, I took like two, maybe three, but probably two. And like I was sharing, what was helpful was just, you know, the being able to stay at the office and work and then just jump right on the class. Um, but I, my preference is for in-person any, mm -hmm. anytime. It's just, there's, no substitute for that. Well, I hate to tell you, Dina, that's never happening again. <laughs> You're stuck at home oh. talking to your computer. Yeah, hopefully soon. Hopefully very soon. Yeah, yeah this definitely has to change. Right? It does.